Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, July 23rd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Stupid Colon Cancer. With us in studio, live, in the flesh, in person, this is exciting, Dale Mintz, Executive Director of Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation, Dr. Thomas Weber, Director of Colorectal Cancer Research Program, Chief of Surgery, Department of Veterans Affairs, New York Harbor Healthcare System, Brielle Zagaro. Did I say that right? Okay, good. Young adult survivor, colon cancer, volunteer advocate, colon cancer challenge foundation, and kicking it off in our spotlight, you know him, you love him, the stupid cancer intern, young adult colon cancer survivor, Matthew Beckett. The real MB in the house. The, uh, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org, 24-7, 365. We are not your father's cancer society. No, we're not. But we are. Are. Bring the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard. Another funful and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's stupid cancer show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Don't forget us there. Download us. It's free. It's automatic. As we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. As a final reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room during each and every broadcast, so we invite you to join the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And now our self-ingratiating applause. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Kenny Kane. What's going on? We have a packed house. We do. Kenny Kane shaved the beard. I did. Kenny looks 17 years old. We can see his freckles again. 13 going on something. That's really, really... Not okay. You're, you're perturbed by it. I'm I am. I'm it's, really just it's very uh, intrigued. It, it harkens back to when I was six and my dad shaved his beard. 
and I went ballistic as a six-year-old. And what, was the, what did you call him earlier? No, I can't <laughs> say that on the air. He's probably listening to the show. Well, that's got to be cooler in this heat, right? Yeah, I you mean, Harry? I don't know if it's necessarily cooler. He had the McGruff, the, 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 the Irish warm. crime dog thing going on there. Yeah. <laughs> no? What? McScruff? I have no idea. Anyway, like Scruff McGruff. Right. Kenny, introduce people. Go ahead. Because uh, I have the list in front of me. Well, you you physically can see the people sitting here. I think that's your job. James okay. Manning in the house. James Manning in the house. Hi, James. James waving He's from waving. the corner. Yeah. You're in charge of interns. Go ahead. Dr. Reverend James Manning. We have to give Matt, we have Brooke, and we have James. Right. Well, all repping stupid cancer internships. That wasn't a hard request. No. Okay, and the interns in the house. And your friends, guests of Kenny Kane tonight. You're really going to, like, rack my brain. We have... You can't remember Joe and Jasmine? You can, you. you told me their names. I did. <laughs> I'm I'm busy. <laughs> You're social media eyes. I'm am. sorry. I'm sorry to distract that. You're distracting that, my flow. That monotasking brain of yours. Gosh. Oh, God. Your iPhone is, like, beeping every... I know. Well, I'm What's getting checked on? into places. You know, it doesn't even seem like it's on. What? Are you guys, did you guys cut me out of the show? No, we I can't even... I can't even hear myself. You're okay. fine. You're I perfectly am? fine. Right. Yes, yes. No, believe me, oh. if we wanted to cut you out of the show, we would have changed the lock. Welcome to the first Stupid Cancer <laughs> That's Show, coming. everyone. That's coming. That's next week. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, in any case, um, what's going on? Oh, Sally Ride. Sally Ride. Sally Ride. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Pancreatic R- cancer. 61 years old. To those who were not born yet, which is yeah, I will hard admit, to Yeah, I will admit that I didn't know who she was. Go away. Let's That's change okay. the locks on him. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Uh, physicist. She was on the shuttle uh, Challenger, June 18th, 1983 to be exact. I'm yep. going to get hit mm-hmm. on it. And on a second mission in 1984. At 32, she was the youngest American in space. Amazing. How do you like that? Yep. Trailblazer for women. Right on. Too young. Uh, too young, 61, pancreatic cancer. Then there was the, uh, the, the story that broke about the fake cancer uh, drugs from Canada. Right, how they get smuggled in. It was a big story in the New York Times. It was a big deal. But, you know, I read it yesterday, and I can't remember five minutes ago, so okay. that's To like, the Google. You know, <laughs> to go I have no idea out. what's going on. No, I wanted to talk but about t- Check the, it out, because it was, I remember it being very interesting when I read it. It was very interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, so I really felt a need to talk about how um, I went to uh, the shore. I did a Jersey you Shore this weekend with my kids. To, okay. And I got so much sun, I'm worried. I I, you, you look the same. I know. I don't. I absorb the sun, but I don't get tan, like a sponge. It's really you're, you're well, translucent. You must have put, must have put uh, sunblock on. Like I put some sunblock on, but I got to say, I've got. We now mean that some. I mean, we do a show. We talk about melanoma all, right, all the time. I bathed in you copper tone organic. Yes. In sixty. I bathed. Just say it. Six thousand SPF. I wore sixty this weekend. Okay. Outdoors. No, I've been spending a lot of time outdoors because we live by the beach and we go right. by the beach now, and it's, it's interesting. But my kids went on the. Um, I'm worried about you. You're you're a totally different person now. Yeah, Why? beach. Yeah, I know. I'm the beach person now. My wife is thrilled. She's in the chat room. She's thrilled that I'm a beach person. So, she's converted me. Anyway, so we spent a lot of time in the sun and down the beach. And I I was going to comment like there were so many people out there that would like. The darkest white people I've ever seen in my... I mean, you see them on TV, you think, whatever, they're yellow. They're, these people are on the... They're there. They exist. They're real human beings. Human, human jerky. They're crazy. Yeah. It's insane. They walk around like that. Why is that? That's crazy. I don't After understand. everything that we know about the sun, you know, the damage being it can hot. do. <laughs> being hot. It's part of being yeah. DTS. Yes, it is DTS. Really bad. Really bad. Yeah. Anyway, it's just like a, walking around like ogle, agog, if I may use my word. Uh, at the sight of some of these individuals, how dark and tan and like 
their skin was just like it looked like it was like a uh, like a, a costume in a Hollywood movie. Mostly younger people. Or mostly all younger ages? people. Mostly yeah. younger people. I don't people. know why they don't get it. And the hairs are like ratty and dry. It was disgusting. Like you might as well be filming Jersey Shore down there. Well, that's yeah. why they. It was terrible. Okay. Anyway, and so it sounds like you had a great time. No, we had. Well, I had a great time. Those poor people, I have no idea about. Okay. And then, of course, there's the Nazi on the Moon sci-fi movie that I just wanted to mention. Because You're obsessed with it. It has nothing to do with anything. I'm just excited that there's a Nazi sci-fi on the Moon. Well, after you finally saw in Glorious Bastards. Yes. Thank you, Kenny, for the. It took you long enough. I forgot about it. It was good. No I association with Sally Ride. She had nothing to do with Nazis. No. no. Yeah. no. Not, not at all. She's well, they, a lovely woman. They, they may have yeah. come back with her on the spaceship. Right. Since they're from the moon. That's true. Exactly. Well, she didn't go to the moon. Oh, my God. You know what I mean. Are we really at a loss um, for things to talk about? <laughs> I went stand-up paddleboarding this weekend. What? Speaking of being in the sun. You know what that is? Stand-up paddleboarding? Yes. Or SUP. As in, what's up? But S-U-P. You it's can't like pull a that surf, off. It's like a surfboard. I know I can't. <laughs> um, it's like a surfboard, but sissy style. <laughs> but, but no waves. You stand up and you take a giant paddle and you go. Oh, this is good because for radio it's good to have a visual. Okay. People really get it right away. You you kind of stroke a paddle like oh, a canoe right. but standing up, and you are sort of a pseudo surfer. That sounds very daring. Well, I, I fell asleep uh, it, Friday. It works your core. It does. It's Speaking exercise. of working your core, I fell, I fell asleep, asleep in a bar right. Friday and Saturday night and woke up after one the next day. So <laughs> it's a good day. Can, good can he work his digestive system this yeah. weekend? Liver Olympics. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> then, yes. Oh, boy. Healthy living here at All right. Stupid well, Kidney it is 810, and you're listening to the musings of the Stupid Cancer Show. Shall we bring in our spotlight guest? Well, we're going to bring him in. He's sitting right there. Well, you know what Handsome I mean. Handsome devil that he is. To, take, the, to, the, to the listening audience. Take the potato sack off his head. He gets the hip music. You do. Where is he? He's a good dancer, too. He's a hip cat. Yes. I did Channel he, 1947. You could say sup. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Matt Beckett was brought to the organization, um, I don't know, some time ago. He came to the OMG Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Palms Casino. Diagnosed with colon cancer at 22 years old, he is now 25. Well, he'll be 25 very shortly, celebrating three years post-operative. He looks the part, he plays the part, he acts the part, he is the real Matt Beckett. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Matt Beckett. Matt Beckett. We love our Matt Beckett. How's it going? Good. Pull the mic a little closer to your face. So I can't see you. you can, That's right. Perfect. I can't see him at all. That's okay. He's blocked by all sorts of... That's okay. No, he, no it doesn't he, matter. We don't need to see you. He's so good looking. We if like you stare into him, you go blind. Exactly. <laughs> we don't need that kind of painting. He's like, he's like the sun. You just have to get a sense of him and look right. away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, tonight's show is about colon cancer. We have not done a colon cancer show in quite a while now, but there's been a whole lot of new... Um, uh, g- genetic research, and, and I, I was just at a melanoma conference where they're talking about how the genomics of what they're working on are applicable to colon cancer, and, and it's just a lot of really amazing confluences of, of research and outcomes are all coming together tonight. Um, but I wanted to have you on the show, A, because I see you every day, and you, you kind of intern here. But B... Because you're here. And yeah, you're, <laughs> that works. He's a low-hanging fruit. He's just here. <laughs> but B, you're awesome, and you're, you're really talented, and uh, you have an amazing story. So let's just start... Um, all right, you're 21, you're footloose and fancy-free. What's your life like? And then talk us through that, those early symptoms and whatnot afterwards. Okay, well, I went to Fairfield University, and I dorm there up until the 
three-and-a-half-year mark, and then I had to take some time off because of the symptoms. But... Well, what were those were symptoms? Terrible pain, right? Terrible pain um, in my stomach and abdomen area. Um, just constant bloating and so much... Um, just intense, you know, like blood a stabbing stool. pain. You can, we can let it all hang out here. Uh, That's what, blood yeah. in the stool. Yep, yep. Like mucusy. Yeah. Um, it was terrible. And I was working part-time and, you know, just overexerting right? myself. Yeah. Yep. Going to school, working at night in a yep. diner, doing all the things that, you know, yeah. a lot of people your age are doing at the time. And it definitely was pretty toxic, but... You know, I learned from my mistakes. So what do you mean you learned from so, so what happened? When did you, were you kind of just living with this pain for a while and thinking like... Yeah, that I was eating wrong and... Eating the wrong foods. Eating and the wrong foods. Getting indigestion or... Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to explain it to myself and I just needed some time. So when did you finally, how much time had passed and what made you finally say, I need to go to a doctor about this? Because it came to a point where, you know, I couldn't leave the house without you know, knowing where the closest bathroom was. Yeah. And that's not a way to live. No. No. So what happened? Who was the first doctor you went to? Uh, my gastroenterologist. Okay. And what happened? My mom him? recommended him. Right. Okay. So you went to the gastroenterologist, and, and, and what did he do? And he basically, you know, said that, you know, it's probably a hemorrhoid or a fissure, um, you're too young to have colon cancer. You know, it could be Crohn's, it could be irritable bowel, um, or right. IBS, or um, the other form that's you know more serious. So, what did he do for you at that visit? He really just examined me, and he said that you know we we can get you scoped, but it's going to take some time because we need you know blood work to come back and. Once I had the blood work in June, I didn't get the results until July, like, 10th. And it took a really long time to get those results. Do you think that he didn't really take you seriously? Yeah. Okay. So this was, uh, so you first started having symptoms. You went to the doctor first in June. The blood work came back in July. But you had been having symptoms for what, six months? Less? More? Yes, since around January. Since around January. Okay, it's about six yeah, months. January 2010. And then when you got your blood work back, then you finally, then you had a colonoscopy? Mm-hmm. Two days later. Two days later. Okay. And then it came... And I was rushed to the ER. It was a runaway train. You were rushed right to the ER mm-hmm. after your colonoscopy? Yeah. Because the doctor said, we see... Yeah, you're partially obstructed. It seems like you didn't perform the colonoscopy prep adequately and I said I you know I drank that awful solution right twofold that's quality stuff though come on give us give us some credit (laughs) it was terrible (laughs) and you know the rest is history so you what you were rushed to the ER and immediately went into surgery Mm -hmm. the next day yeah the next day you had surgery yep because okay. I needed a CT scan, and they also, I believe, performed a PET scan. Okay. And then what happened after the surgery? Did you have any other... And the surgery is called a hemicolectomy, and um, after that, I 
ended up staying, remaining in the hospital because I developed an abscess and a really high fever of about 104. Wow. So that's why I had to stay in for like another 10 days. So what was the actual surgical procedure? What did they do to you? They took out the tumor and then reconstructed from the small intestine to the colon. Okay. Or the large intestine to the colon. And what was the so radiation chemo? All about out half. Um, okay. It was just chemotherapy followed, but my oncologist, um, RPN, the registered practitioner, right, um, recommended that you know I get um, further, not further testing, but that I go to a sperm sperm bank. Okay, well that's a good thing then. Yeah, because she actually said to her, to me and my mom that you know she couldn't live with herself if for some reason she you know she stated that you know I could have kids and then you know it turns out you know years down the road right that I couldn't so that was good yeah she was really great do you feel I mean I this is kind of a loaded question but when you were getting your chemo were there any other young people in the room no he's shaking his head for radio (laughs) very few (laughs) and I think we talked about this before on the show, but any history of anything in your family? No. No, but while I was in the hospital, um, there was an infectious disease specialist and some other people, other doctors, you know, who also were, um, you know, responsible for my care. And they suggested that I get genetic testing while I I was actually in the hospital as an inpatient rather than an outpatient because insurance wouldn't cover it. Right. So you did. So you had that. So testing. I had the genetic testing while I was in the hospital. And what was the result of that? That I have this syndrome called Lynch syndrome. Lynch syndrome. Yeah. Okay. And Maybe we'll have the good doctor talk to us about that later. It's an extra okay. chromosome. I mean, it's a missing chromosome. Okay. And it's a genetic link. And that's why I got colon cancer so young. It is. So was it, did, did others have... Um, so it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no family history of colon no cancer. No family history. Yeah. yeah. So wait, so... I know his mom had breast cancer, but not, right? Your yeah. mom had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no history of colon cancer. Nope. And they were also testing my parents, and they were negative. So l- let's talk us through early 20s colon cancer survivor, what's it like to rebuild your life, your friends, your family, your your career, employment, you know, uh, education? This is through the lens of what we do every single day is talk about why it's so different. You're not an 80-year-old guy. True. What's been your experience for three years? Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. You know, I just try and live my life to the fullest each and every day and, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Did you go back and finish school? I went back actually during my chemo treatment and went to school part-time. I would drive up to Fairfield for a Thursday night class. My chemo would normally be on a Thursday. Um, And actually, my, you know, some of my professors 
you know, were really understanding. And your chemo was on a Thursday, and then you drove up to class mm-hmm. after your chemo. Yeah. Wow. That's quality. Wow. You motored right through that. Yeah. <laughs> we had side effects from the chemo. I did have some. I I had some neuropathy, and um, actually, at, like I guess midpoint of my chemo, so I had 12 rounds of full fox. So probably around my fourth or fifth, I started developing, it's not really a mouse sore, but it's a very sensitive to cold feeling, and it's pretty painful. I remember I, you know, I was starting to um, get warm and warm out, and I couldn't, you know, enjoy my normal iced coffees, and I was not happy. Yeah. Well, don't don't get Kenny, you know, uh, in, in, in any position where he can't enjoy his coffee. No. You won't like him when he's angry. So how did you, uh, so I guess you were, you were, obviously you were surrounded by patients who were much older sure. than you were, right? Very much. And what about your friends in terms of being able to relate with somebody their age who had colon cancer? They they weren't, but, you know, the ones that are true stuck around. And, you know, every, I feel like a lot of people during their treatments, you know, really know who their true friends are. And you lose, you know, the ones that are there for when the things are good. Right. But when, you know, they or you need them, they're not. Right. But So how did you find out about the OMG Cancer Summit this year? I actually went to the OMG 2011 summit. Were you, Kenny? Do you know that? He was at 2011 also. Yeah, I, we didn't meet though. I feel so out of the loop. How'd you find out about 2011? It was in one of the. I saw a flyer in one of the hospitals um, that I w- was treated at. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, something's getting out there. So, what was your experience like? Was it the first time you'd ever been in the room with, like, lots of younger people with cancer? Yeah, absolutely. So talk us through that experience. It was a really great weekend. I had a lot of fun. You know, I was around people that understood what it was like to be a young adult going through cancer treatment. And it was really just a fabulous experience. What did your doctors, I mean, did your doctors offer any, did they seem incredibly like stumped by it had they said you know had they had ever seen anybody close to your age before that they had treated they were quite stumped by it mm-hmm. um actually though one of my surgeons the the surgeon who performed my surgery he had you know performed another surgery on a 20 year old he had yeah, yeah. okay um, and your parents, I'm sure I know your well. Your mom's a, a dentist; she's a doctor. Yeah, dentist, dermatologist. Right? Derm- oh, sorry, yeah. dermatologist. Um, and uh, starts with a D. Um, and your dad is your dad currently going through an illness now? No. Mm-hmm. Did I make? Okay. Sorry, I'm off the mark here with the, and I, and I adore his mom. His mom came to the, uh, the OMG. And and she came to the uh, summit. Yes. In Vegas, because yeah. I was on the plane back with both of them. At least he didn't say they're married. <laughs> we tend to do that on the show here. His mom looks young enough, actually, to right. be his wife. But um, she's super lovely. Yeah, they were they were on my plane coming back. Um, so that's quite. So where are you? How do you feel now? I feel how, wait, great. You do. 
Yeah. So many, not any kind of normal symptoms. Well, normal subjective. Feeling. You you interned yeah. for us. Right? Let's not forget that. <laughs> it's a daily torture for him. Yeah, <laughs> I love it though. No, you 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 do great work. You're a good kid. Well, be interesting just the whole to, thing that it'd be interesting to have everybody else jump in, our other guests, and right. comment on after hearing Matt's story. Well, um, so let's just hit the news then, and then we'll and bring we'll, him on. We'll bring him on. All right. Okay. So, Kenny, you're in charge of the transition. Just We're going to hit the Matt news here. And hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right. Don't forget to check out the newly launched online store at stupidcancerstore.org. Pick up some cool threads for you and someone you care about today. All right, head on over to event.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. And we have Stupid Cancer events coming up in Kenny. All right, Wednesday night, New Jersey has their trying to figure out pizza party. Work. Pizza party? Yes. Pizza, Stupid pizza. Cancer pizza party. Followed by a Denver uh, re-kickoff, relaunch. I'm trying to think of an MZ word. What would you say? A relaunch of their Denver chapter on August 1st. Followed by a DC Metro happy hour on Friday, August 3rd. The night before the WTF Living with Cancer event down in Arlington, Virginia. Check it out. Awesome, awesome. All right, this is pretty epic. Go to stupidcancer.com slash vote. That's stupidcancer.com slash vote. Out of 2,400 nominations, we were selected as a top five finalist in health and well-being for the fourth annual Classy Awards in uh, San Diego this fall. It's a big deal, folks, so please vote for us. I think we're in the lead, but we'd like to stay in the lead. All right, you hear us talk about the OMG Summit all the time. Well, join the mailing list now. It's not too early for the sixth annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas. Visit omg2013.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner and enter your email address to receive the latest e-news updates on dates, venue, agenda, registration, the Players Club, and other exciting information. All right. We are officially go for the first, the inaugural, 2012 OMG East in New York City on September 15th at Baruch College. This is a special one-day event here in the uh, metro area for anyone in uh, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Jersey, leaving except upstate New Yorkers. Uh, visit OM, uh, was it east.omg2012.org. That's east.omg2012.org. And register early today, and that is yep. your Stupid Cancer News. We always live at the forums. Ah, we... All right. Stupidcancerforums.com. Forums. Check out the forums. Forums. A lot of you on there, 2,500 members. Forums. Going strong. Forums. All right. You're up, please. All right. Should I start with a good doctor? Why not? Doctor He's got Tom- a degree. <laughs> Dr. Thomas Weber is professor of surgery at SUNY Downstate and chief of surgery at the Department of Veterans Affairs, New York Harbor Healthcare System, Brooklyn campus. He's published extensively on hereditary colorectal cancer and frequently speaks nationally and internationally. He recently joined the advisory board of the Global Human Variome Project. Okay. Shall I take yeah. Go ahead. You do Bruce I'll do Dell. Okay. Oh, my <laughs> We're God. We're very organized here. <laughs> You're listening to the stupid something something. <laughs> yes. Dagaro is a 26-year-old who lives and works in New York City. On December 23, 2011, she was diagnosed with stage 3 colorectal cancer and now receives treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering with positive prognosis and attitude. She fights every day to earn the title of survivor. Dale Mintz. 
previously served as Hadassah's first National Director of Women's Health and Advocacy, as well as Director of Corporate and Foundation Relations. She co-edited the Hadassah Jewish Family Book on Health and Wellness, published by Jossie Bass. She's a graduate of SUNY Purchase. Yay! SUNY! Purchase. You went to SUNY. I'm from Purchase. She's a hybrid of ours in a weird, not really kind of way. (laughs) All right, I can't stop that. She holds an MPA in public administration from Baruch College of the City of New York and is a certified health education specialist. And we're thrilled to have all three of them here in studio. Dale Mintz, Dr. Thomas Weber, and Brielle Zaga. Zagaro. Zagaro. You got Zagaro sometimes? I've heard it all. I've heard okay. anything starting with cigar, which is not great for the whole colon cancer thing, but right. cigar, Zagaro. <laughs> I've heard it all. Very nice. All right, so Dale, lots of Jews in your life, apparently. <laughs> oh yes. All right, how did you get your MPA? What What does CHS stand for? Certified Health Something. Certified Health Education Specialist. Got it. Got it. Kenny, why don't you help her cool. with the mic a little bit? Sure. Um, all right, so I don't know how you want to start. <laughs> I, we're disorganized tonight. Well, I, 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 let, let's let's. I, I'm interested in coming off of Matthew's story. Let's just okay. start because I saw Doctor Webb. Everybody was actually in Dale as well, and they're all kind of nodding their heads and. I just, just quickly, since we just heard Matt Beckett's story, if you want to jump in and do you have any just comments off the top of your head in terms of what you heard with what Matt went through, Dr. Weber? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd like to say is I want to congratulate you on the on the show. I think this is really, really... Thank you very much. He bought it. Just not just <laughs> tonight's show. <laughs> Every Thank show but this one. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you Fantastic. very much. So Matt's story is uh, tragically familiar to many of us working in this arena, and uh, it underscores why it's so important for us to continue to educate providers as well about early age, onset, colorectal cancer, and other cancers. Uh, The value of taking a diligent family history, now Matt's family, that wasn't positive, but for many families, certainly with Lynch syndrome, uh, Lynch is the most common uh, autosomal dominant uh, genetic disorder associated with colorectal cancer. Is that right? Okay. But it's also associated with uh, endometrial cancer, huh. ovarian cancer, and uh, sometimes uh, certain types of renal cancer as well. So it kind of underscores something that we try very hard to teach our residents and fellows that, you know, the American Cancer Society recommendations for starting screening is age 50, right? unless you have a family history, but no one's going to know about your family history if nobody talks to you about your family history. Sure. So... And what percentage of, of the population has Lynch syndrome? Well, that's an excellent question. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of our life's work to figure that out. And that's the main focus for our academic uh, research program, and it's a big focus for the foundation as well. But to come back to your question and try and answer it, it looks as though it's somewhere between 3 and 5% of the total number of cases. Of the total number of cases? Of the total number of cases. And how many cases are there per year? We're looking at approximately 150,000 cases a year. Okay. And tragically, 50,000 deaths a year, which okay. yeah. makes it a major 
Major risk. Is that 50,000 of the, those diagnosed that year, or is it no. extrapolated over time? No. It's okay. A- averaged over time. Okay. Okay. Well, that's still not good. No, it's definitely not <laughs> right. good. However, you know, certainly with Lynch syndrome, uh, you know, taking taking a family history early on and, again, encouraging families, as I'm sure you have done in the past, and I'm sure stupid cancer encourages this, for families to talk about their family history. And, uh, you know, the Surgeon General has a major program supporting this, and there are all kinds of um, opportunities. You know, we often talk about Thanksgiving as a time when families get together, and it's a good time to talk about these issues. Over sweet potatoes. Yeah, mm-hmm. over whatever. And kugel. Right, Jews? Okay. <laughs> Could be the most important. Uh, <laughs> could be the most important conversation you have. So the incidence of, of colorectal cancer, though, in the under fifty population, is increasing. Well, this is really shocking, but true. Mm. And uh, you know, overall, the overall incidence uh, is decreasing, which we would like to think has something to do with reasonably effective screening programs that are gaining traction. You mm-hmm. know, and certainly in New York City. Uh, under Mayor Bloomberg and uh, our two consecutive health commissioners, Dr. Frieden and Dr. Farley, there have been very, very aggressive programs to provide colon cancer screening mm-hmm. across our entire diverse New York City community, a- including a huge contribution from the Health and Hospitals Corporation. So screening rates in New York City have gone from, over the past 10 years, right, yep. 42% to almost 68%. So that's very, very important. But but I digress. So your original question was? My original question was... It wasn't even a question. It was yeah. just over a glaze. <laughs> well, no, I was talking about the incidence of right. okay. under 50. Yeah. yeah. So, so definitely, overall, incidence is decreasing. But there is clearly, clearly uh, multiple... Uh, pieces in the literature that are absolutely fabulously done research that show a steady increase for people under 50, which is remarkable. Wow. I mean, it's quite sizable. Well, I was going to kick it over to to Brielle for a second because she is a young woman who has uh, colon cancer as we speak and is in treatment for it now at Sloan Kettering here in New York City. Uh, How old were you when you were first diagnosed, Brielle? I was the same age I am now, 26. Well, there you go. Right, you just had like one year. I haven't even had my one year. I'm about eight months or so okay. into it. I was diagnosed, sadly, two days before Christmas. Okay. So. Well, Merry Christmas. Thanks. <laughs> See, you're not, keeps on giving. you're not it's Jewish. It's, it's a Jewish <laughs> thing. You've got to get, like, Tay-Sachs and all the other stuff that we have instead. Okay, great. Um, so, all right, so you heard Matt's story. You, you've met Matt several times. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty similar arc. Misdiagnosed, not taken seriously, friends leaving you, fertility. <laughs> um, I similar arc in that we had similar, very similar symptoms in terms of the way that we kind of went about it. Similar to Matt, I had these symptoms, didn't know what to do with them. I, you know, work hard in New York City. You know, we don't often have time to take a breath to eat our breakfast, let alone go to the doctor. So. Here I was with these symptoms. I went home for the holidays. Um, I would say a good six months into seeing things that weren't quite right. And, um, you know, I was having pain to the point of not being able to walk, went to the ER, and, you know, a PET scan later, that's what I had. So 
And what about your family history? Uh, no family history. I had the genetic test done. Absolutely no Lynch syndrome. No nothing. It. I asked the doctors over and over again, how did this happen to me? And I'm consistently told, bad luck. It's just <laughs> That's bad comforting. Luck. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Wow. Um, and, you're, and you said you went home. Where's home? You're- Florida. I'm from Florida, um, but I've been living in New York for about five years. Just had my five-year anniversary, which I'm very proud of. Nice. Um, so, yeah, taking it one day at a time. Wow. Um, Dale, let's talk to Dale and first tell us, what the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation is. Okay, it's a nonprofit mm-hmm. um, based in New York, and I'm sitting next to the founder and the president, uh, <laughs> Dr. Thomas Weber. <laughs> we knew he was here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm his greatest fan. So um, one of the things about colon cancer that we realized uh, from the very beginning was that it affects both men and women, which is a... Uh, a misunderstanding on the part of the general public. Sometimes they think it's only men, and women are just there to take care of the men, whereas it's an equal opportunity, just like heart disease. Right. And um, But this year, we're very excited about the Colon Cancer Challenge because it's the 10th anniversary. And um, in the past 10 years, we've made incredible strides in the fight against colon cancer, as Dr. Weber said, uh, in New York, uh, the screening rates since 10 years ago um, have gone up, and we feel that the challenge had a great deal to do with it. It is a walk, a run, uh, actually two runs, a four-mile and a 15K, and a remembrance and prevention walk that that people who participate raise funds for uh, research, as well as the public awareness. Now, I just want to pick up on public awareness for a moment because okay. of, uh, something obviously that stands out when you get a big name and something happens. When Katie Couric's husband had the colon cancer, I mean, when somebody like that, did that was that a huge, did, did, was there a market sort of increase in people getting screened and awareness when somebody it happens to somebody like that? Yeah, actually, it, it causes what what that was uh, considered was the Couric effect because she went on TV right. and was had, had, a colon, right. had a colonoscopy in public. Right. Uh, people weren't talking about it. Yeah. It was a, um, a taboo subject, and um, she made it real. Yeah. And that made a big difference uh, in the way people thought about colon cancer. But, again, her husband was male, right? and it didn't really um, affect the way women felt about it. Sure. And then, actually, the producer of the Today Show, Jeff Zucker, who's also a man, was diagnosed as well. Right. Yes. Well, I I was involved with Stand Up to Cancer back in, well, 2006, but at the 2000 and uh, 8 or 2010, Homer Simpson got a colonoscopy. Yes. And that was, like, a really cool way to, like, Mm -hmm. pop-culturize and destigmatize it. Um, But, I mean, I, I would like to just divert for a second. I want to talk about the research and the wonderful genomics and epigenetics. People love to talk about that. But disparity groups. The the idea of a colonoscopy in certain disparity groups is considered not masculine or, yeah. you know, very um, uh, embarrassing and you don't want to come across certain ways. Um, can we talk about that? Because I know, obviously, we like the fact that more and more people are getting screened. It's becoming a fairly legitimate standard of care. People take it seriously. 
um, and that more people are getting diagnosed at earlier stages, which right. is what the stage trend register stage one is the cure. We kind of like that idea. Um, but uh, can, can either of you comment on how the disparity groups are, are dealing with these uh, these issues? Well, Matthew, I think it is a really serious issue. Uh, one thing we have to our advantage is there are multiple testing modalities out there. So, you know, your physician can offer other uh, testing options. And as our colleague at Memorial Sloan Kettering, Sid, Sid Winner, always says, the best test is a completed test, <laughs> a completed test that's done well. So by that I mean if if you just do not have a comfort level with colonoscopy, there are other approaches, such as testing the stool for the presence of blood, and there's been a revolution in the technologies used to do that, much easier and more accurate. And then, of course, there are imaging modalities as well that can be used, so CT, colography, and there's a whole new generation of testing, which is very interesting and really very exciting, which is testing the stool for DNA abnormalities that might suggest that there is there is a malignant polyp or tumor. Right. Because one might argue that getting a scope is a little like it's a little medieval, it's a little barbaric, it's a little right. old school, very very traditional. Are we going to oh, well, ever... Well, I'm a fan of propofol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting propofol. I'm getting... I mean, a, Michael hey. Jackson didn't do <laughs> Michael Jackson in the end, but no, look, I'm hey, getting, I'm, I'm, I got I'm no problem my, with I'm getting my quarterly dose of propofol tomorrow, I'm getting an and, and endoscopy tomorrow. But an important, uh, an important advantage, potential advantage for colonoscopy is if you identify polyps or lesions that are amenable to being removed by yeah. the endoscopist, you know that's good. Yeah. Right. So in one sitting, you're diagnosed and treated. Yeah. Well, I re I can just on a personal note, I had so much radiation in my head. I had brain cancer 16 years ago. I had full craniospinal radiation, 6,000 cg, head, neck, and everything. And uh, you know I was 21, so everything was still growing and whatever. So I remember I had my first colonoscopy like a year or a year and a half later, and they found an insane amount of bad stuff in there from the radiation. Is that right? They took out so many, like he said, like they ran out of like cups, you know, whatever the expression is. The surgeon ran out of buckets to put stuff in from taking all of this precancerous stuff that developed from the radiation out of me. So I can only imagine, you know, uh, that there's clearly always going to be some sort of physical need to to physically remove these things. But are we reaching a Does point now? Does that surprise now? you, Dr. Weber, when you hear that? <laughs> I mean, is that? I was messed that, up. That, I have no idea. They gave you whole body radiation? Yeah. Uh, then all, all bets are off. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a walking petri dish. That's what my colleagues calls me today. So, yeah, no, I was a mess. I still have polyps taken out of me all the time. So, yeah. Wow. But but the whole point is like you had mentioned that there are these like types of non-surgical or non-physical yeah. scans that people can have now. Minimally invasive. Can you talk about those? But well, it's not like progress. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the major one would be the CT colography, which right. is definitely an important modality, and uh, has been shown in multiple studies to be uh, to have adequate sensitivity and specificity. There have been several excellent papers in the New England Journal. Um, not all insurance carriers are covering it just yet, right. and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure why that is, but uh, that's a potential limitation. And stool, stool testing, the uh, new immune histochemistry uh, testing 
uh, kits are uh, very effective, and I really think they're going to replace the older uh, hemocult testing regimens. And it's a single test, and uh, it's very accurate. And uh, it's really, really important uh, nationally because, oh, even in our great New York State, you know, 90-plus percent of the gastroenterologists in New York State are within 35 <laughs> miles of where we're sitting right now. So we have, we have a, lot of, a lot of folks, you know, out north and west, and it's kind of a, you know, it's similar for the rest of the country, who don't have ready access to endoscopy. Right. So these testing techniques are very, very important. It's important to have those alternatives. So, Dale, tell us more. Let's talk more about um, CCCF and sort of how the organization is maybe different than some of the others dedicated to colon cancer out there. Okay. First of all, our major fundraiser is uh, dedicated to bringing together uh, patients, survivors, and their families. And one day in Central Park, and we get people from all over the United States and some from Europe just coming together, just like Matt said about going to OMG and having the opportunity to speak to others who have been affected makes an enormous, enormous difference to them. So I, you know, I encourage people to do that because I think that it helps. I think everybody has an opportunity then to meet with and talk to somebody else who's been through it. And um, so we raised this year over five hundred thousand dollars, and but our goal is one million. So we still have a lot of work. We to still do. have a lot of work to do. <laughs> no, that's that's still very impressive. I mean, yeah. we're, we're five years old, and those are big numbers for yeah. us. So yeah. Yeah. So. Um, our official charity partner for that event is New York Roadrunners. Um, they're an incredible group of people who really know how to run a run. Right. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they're really in- impressive. And um, not only do we work with them in March for Colon Cancer Awareness Month, but we work with them in November for the New York Marathon. We have a New York Marathon t- team with 26 runners. Oh, Wow. And this year we got some catching up to do, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> we have five runners. Oh, it's, you know what? you got to start someplace. And there's no guarantee that they'll finish. There's right. no guarantee that they'll finish, but it doesn't matter if they no, finish. They have to raise a certain amount of money, each each one. I was teasing them. So they're committed. Uh-huh. If they're committed, they're committed. Right. <laughs> and um, so we're working on that as well. Um, we raised last year about $100,000 through the Charity Runner Program. Wonderful. And um, But one of the most important things that we're doing is we're building up a cadre of researchers. She said the word cadre. <laughs> I know. That's an SAT word. That's a big you word. You don't know our audience very well. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that the audience is at the level of the people in the room. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, forget it. Oh, that gets Uh-oh. one of these. I have wait. Wah, wah. That gets this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. They, she's she's right to give our audience more credit. No, they get more credit than us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we just uh, lost our audience. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm no. so sorry, <laughs> but I'll continue. They're with talking no, anyway. they're with you on cadre. <laughs> no, yeah. Yes. Okay. Cadre researchers. So yeah. our our runners get coaching and they get all sorts of things in order to maintain their health and finish the marathon. So are most of your runners colon cancer survivors? Some are. Some are relatives of colon cancer survivors. Some are um, just people who are runners who wanted to get a spot in the um, event and then became uh, advocates for us. Uh, it's, it's a learning curve, and we want everybody to be involved and understand the disease 
so that they, too, can spread it to their families and friends. Right. Because that's what we're all about, public awareness. But the research that we're trying to foster is through new young investigators. We feel that they're the ones that have a hard time getting grants, and this gives them an opportunity to apply for and get uh, their abstracts accepted. They're usually Ph.D. candidates or postdocs, and they are uh, from all. They can be from all over the world. Uh, we work through this uh, Society for Surgical Oncology for one of them, and the Cooperative Group of the Americas, which has a very long name, but they're the genetics. They're ge- the genetics coach folks for the uh, South, uh, the North American continent. Would you say that most of the research that you're funding is translational or it's, it's uh, biomarkers and epigenetics? Maybe the doctor wants to comment? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Dale, Dale hit on all the main points. And to come back to Lisa's question, I think one of the things about the foundation that we hold most dear is that it really, the goal is to raise resources to help uh, young investigators make their way. And uh, we've been very fortunate to be successful enough under Dale's leadership to have the funds to offer a number of travel scholarships uh, for people who submit work to major scientific meetings. And so now our goal, our next goal, is to have enough resources to actually be able to support young investigators for a year or two years or hopefully eventually three years in a major laboratory, either in this country or internationally, because a lot of our research uh, associations are uh, in Europe and Asia and Australia. So we think that's a major distinguishing feature. Plus, the challenge itself, as Dale said, you know, we were very much aware of the role of many of the breast cancer events, more than just awareness and raising funds. They provide a sense of community which people don't talk about very often, but is clearly the case. So we wanted to be able to offer that for the colon cancer community. I'd like to kick you back to Brielle for a second because, you know, Brielle works, she works in marketing and youth advertising, and and she's, well, she embodies that because she is youth. And I'd love to hear more from you about the, the marketing of colon cancer, the stigmas of colon cancer, and how, you know, the next generation is sort of rallying around itself and the new ways we think about community and cancer. And can you just comment on that? For sure. I think colon cancer of all the cancers I kind of describe as the less glamorous one. Not that having any cancer is glamorous, but, um, you know, there is a lot more popularity around breast cancer and ovarian cancer, especially for young people. And I think colon cancer, especially when you think about the symptoms and um, the side effects that you get as a result of radiation therapy or chemo, none of it's pretty. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's kind of dirty and gross. Um, And I think it's really important that in this kind of new wave of awareness that we change that attitude because, you know, there are people like me who's a 26-year-old girl who's going through the same thing that, yes, maybe an 86-year-old man is, but it's my reality. And I don't want my reality to be disgusting. I want it to be something that people can rally around the same way that they rally around something like breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Good point. Very Um, good point. So, And that's why I love stupid cancer because they can all kind of rally around it together. You're hired. (laughs) I think Dr. Weber wants to jump in here. Yeah, I just wanted to support Braille and mention that, you know, not only is there 
advances in genetic research, which we could go on to talk mm -hmm. about, but also surgical technology has also innovated quite dramatically. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how your surgery was done, and it's none of my business, but many of these operations can be done with minimally invasive techniques, which literally mean, you know, three, four, five at the most small portholes mm -hmm. uh, and a small incision to remove the lesion. That's usually different than 10 years <laughs> Ten years ago, when you know we were doing these huge midline incisions, so right. I think there's a lot of good news to support you know the, what you're trying to promote and say about the care of the disease. So I, I do want to talk about the genetic yeah. uh, because I mean I, I'm a big fan of the 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 philosophy that it is not really about body parts anymore. It's about who you are as an individual, your genetic makeup, and how certain targeted molecular therapies can really impact where the disease happens to be. Um, I've, we, we had, we've, we've talked about epigenetics on the show numerous times. We've had, you know, uh, the Dr. John LaPook, who worked with Stand Up to Cancer, and their huge colon cancer genomics research project. We worked with um, the, the folks at 23andMe who do human genomic testing, uh, home kits. I mean, what, what have you seen in the last couple of years, Doctor, about the, the, the process and the progress around the philosophies of of epigenetics and and how it affects biomarkers and this is these fascinating scientific you know uh, things that most people don't even understand but they're really changing the way that people engage with the disease are treated with the disease and they live beyond with the disease. Yeah, Matt, that's right. And and there's two major components. There's the targeted molecular therapies based on the molecular targets we can identify on the cancer cells. But then there's also this huge arena of heritable predisposition to the disease, you know, uh, the familial aspect of it. And uh, that's definitely an area that we're very, very focused on. So while maybe 3 to 5% of cases, Lisa asked, are technically Lynch syndrome, uh, Brielle doesn't have any family history, uh, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people like that. So we're very, very interested to understand more clearly what are the other factors that are predisposing. And, and amazingly, 20 to 25% of all cases are occur in familial patterns that are consistent with so-called autosomal dominant inheritance, as if there was a genetic factor uh, at play. But we can only identify them in 3 to 5%. And it's very similar for breast cancer, too. So it means there are enormous opportunities for people who want to get involved in research to understand this better. Enormous. So when you just, so practical advice for people who are listening out there, when you say it's important to talk about family history, mm -hmm. so they want to know about colon cancer, but other types of, I mean, what kinds of questions specifically should you be asking your family? What should you be looking for? And, you know, because there is no screening for under 50, as you mentioned, yeah. you know, what what can you do? What's the sort of tangible takeaway, I guess, for somebody who's listening at home uh, in terms of really the right questions to right. ask, the right things to think about, respond to in terms of answers? You right. Know? Well, I think the questions revolve around any incidents of the major solid tumor uh, diseases, mm -hmm. so certainly colorectal cancer, breast cancer, but also others too, melanoma, pancreatic cancer. 
I think having a conversation about any mm-hmm. incidence of cancer in the family, and also really important, is the age age of diagnosis. Yeah. Right. Is is a universal red flag. And clearly, we don't understand all the connections right. there. It'd be foolish to pretend we did, but it's a major red flag and suggests that you know the uh, spending time with a genetic counselor to uh, talk about it further and make some pedigrees and really think about it uh, would be worthwhile. And the other important thing about family history, which I'm sure you talk about a lot on Stupid Cancer Show, is it's an evolving thing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might get together for Thanksgiving 2012 and do a family history, but you have to continue to work on it mm-hmm. because, unfortunately, there's going to be more important information and more individuals affected as you go. Sure. I, go ahead, Dahlia. If I could add just a couple of things. Um, if you're sitting around, nobody really wants to talk about right. family, has medical history specifically, yeah. but it, it, if, if we could make it so important that everybody would be so inclined, even if only one person was, if you had a 16-year-old sitting in the room who in her bio class started talking about colon cancer or pancreatic cancer or anything like that, and she wanted to know, well, what did grandma die of or great-grandma or grandpa? I mean, you can put it in their language and begin to understand that people really never thought about it because great-grandpa may have died when he was 40, Mm -hmm. and so there may be no history, but someone may remember that he went to the doctor and then the doctor just sent him home, Mm -hmm. and then he died six months later. Mm -hmm. So that is something that you can start to do some research on in your family and start to talk to everybody else. I think that's a good point because most people are just sort of have some vague notion but don't really know specifics about grandparents or great-grandparents. I mean, in the age of genomic medicine, family history is one of the most important components of the doctor-patient interview. And all the literature indicates that it's sadly underutilized. And we tell our students and fellows, you know, we remind them that you you don't need to know an exon from an intron. You don't need to know a ribosome from an RNA molecule. I know what ribosomes are. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's good. But you don't need that to just take the time to do a decent family history. It's interesting because I I had breast cancer at 29, and I brought a negative on the genes, but my grandmother, paternal grandmother, had breast cancer and she would have had it at 39. Yeah. She lived she eventually lived and died of something seemingly unrelated in her late 70s, but she definitely if uh, doing the math on it and we didn't I knew she had it but we didn't talk about it a lot, but she would have been just under 40. Um so but obviously genetic research is still just because we're ju- BRCA, I'm negative doesn't mean that there isn't another mutation right out there that's <laughs> overwhelming majority of early age onset breast cancer patients are BRCA1 and 2 negative. Yeah, yeah. I cannot but point out the elephant in the room, which is this 48-page PDF that was emailed to me by saferchemicals.org, our friends in D.C. Um, This is their annual executive summary report about how everything we do kills us. Um, Everything we look at, smell, eat, uh, live in, live under, sleep near, um, imbibe, is is killing us slowly. Work next to, exactly. Uh, Thank you, Kenny. 
young adults get cancer for different reasons than older right. Americans. Older Americans get cancer because they're older Americans and things right. build up and their immune system is just... We learned last week about telomeres and, and how in the, uh, the, the DNA just starts to dissolve itself and that's just the nature of living. So how, how, is, how is it that... I mean, obviously we want to all agree on the philosophy of the, you know, stage one is the cure, but is genomics going to replace the sort of the archaic ways of extrapolating old school chemo protocols for young adults where it may not necessarily work on top of the fact that we recently learned last week that if you give a young adult a pediatric protocol for certain cancers, their outcomes are more improved, but there is no colon cancer in pediatrics. Nope. So the, a very complicated question, but what are we looking at uh, in the future? Well, for both breast cancer and now colon cancer, uh, there are products available to medical oncologists that uh, analyze the tumor and give information based on the molecular profile, give information about what chemotherapeutic regimens might be more efficacious than others. So in a sense, it's arrived. It still has a way to go, but the technologies are, are definitely there. But I'd also like to mention, if I could, just take a moment to underscore some less dramatic and sexy aspects to all of this. You know, the, the excellent article uh, written by Rebecca Siegel of the American Cancer Society that pointed out this uh, incredible increase in early age onset cancer in young people talks about some, uh, some other factors that are very sobering. You know, obesity uh, over the last three decades has really become a major epidemic in our, in our country with type 2 diabetes to follow. Uh, so there are all kinds of other epigenetic, right. te technically, mm -hmm. but really important basic lifestyle and healthy lifestyle option issues that may really be at play uh, you know, in this in this phenomenon, I mean, the average body mass index of our of our countrymen and women is just right. you know. Yeah, Brielle, you got to lose some weight. Yeah, <laughs> you're way too heavy at like ninety five pounds. Look, I look my best in all of my dresses right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I could be a model. Right. <laughs> no, I I completely I'm on the same page yeah. as you. I mean, the lifestyle, the American diet, the Western way that we do things. I just found out that this was like on Gawker like yesterday, like just sitting for three hours a day like ends your life in like a week. It's really bad. You have to walk around every day. Desk jobs are like the worst thing for human beings that our generation is going to live less than our parents' generation. It's a shonda. It's a terrible thing. This is the this is the point in the show where I would point out that you know how many steps it is from your door to the subway. Yes. And you try to limit that number. I do. <laughs> I, I also know exactly how, how least uphill it is to the subway station from this office. I use the topography map because I'm a loser. Yes, I will admit that. But um, in all seriousness, though, like... like yeah, no, it is. With, this, what, 73 million adult Americans are obese in this yeah. country? Yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. It's, it's a huge a big problem. Deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. He, he says metaphorically and yeah. physically, uh, I'm I'm tired. <laughs> um, no, right, my, wow, uh, last question. I, yeah. I always like to ask doctors this question. Clinical trials, relevant and irrelevant, specifically to tonight's arc about colon cancer, but, you know, Brielle, Matt, were either of you told about a clinical trial? 
I have heard about clinical. I've heard about a clinical trial as it related specifically um, to my course of treatment, which was chemo, radiation, and then surgery. Specifically because of the fertility sensitivities that surround right. young women who have colon cancer. Um, unfortunately, because I was in stage three, I was diagnosed at stage three. The results of the clinical trials that had taken place previously weren't relevant to me. My cancer was too far along for me to even consider not having radiation treatment. Okay. Um, but not in terms of participating in one. Got it. Because we talk about enrollment in the clinical trials is at its lowest in the young adult cancer population, you know, building better standards of care and best practices and how do you make them aware of it and doctors and literacy. It's a big conversation we have on the show quite frequently. Where do you personally see, you know, possible changes in that system? And do you think genetic research and will that change the way we our relationship with trials? Uh, possibly. I mean, the... <laughs> One potential advantage, not that there are any advantages to having breast or colorectal cancer, but so many people have had those diseases that the uh, the adjuvant therapies, the chemotherapy and radiation therapy protocols are very well developed, very well studied. Uh, there's good science to support them. So actually I would say if you are getting mainstream uh, adjuvant or neoadjuvant therapy that's a that's a good thing for that individual right that means you're you're on track but to come back to your question it's true it's a, it's it's a remarkably low percentage of people who uh, do participate in clinical trials they do need to be promoted providers need to be aware of them but patients can also drive these things as they can drive lots of other things you can right. go to clinicaltrials.gov and you can see what's available uh for for the disease you're you're fighting, and uh, you know you print that out and you go in and you show it to your your doctor. But I think many, me, the vast majority of of uh, medical oncologists and radiation oncologists and surgical oncologists in this country are are interested in and uh, eager to participate and help their patients participate when it's appropriate. Yeah, that's my personal pet project is how do we increase awareness of and social interaction for clinical trials. So, Brielle, I'm really glad that you were made aware of it at least. I'm sorry you couldn't participate in it, but that's that's progress. Just one more story there where someone was told about it. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So. Well, I think definitely including, including discussions about clinical trials in uh, graduate and postgraduate medical education is, is key. Yes. You know, we at our tumor board meetings every week, you know, we make a huge effort to make sure we discuss any and all relevant trials for the patients we're discussing. So I think it is something that providers can really, you know, you can make a real contribution by keeping it on the radar screen and teaching your medical students, residents, and fellows that it's very important. Yep. I think that you also have an opportunity here with Stupid Cancer to educate your public about clinical trials and the importance of learning more about their disease so that they can take advantage if there is something to take advantage of and do their research. Um, the, disease, um, the, the diseases are, um, I mean, multifaceted, and everybody ha comes up with different, different pieces of it, but it's really important for people to educate themselves. We know that we're in a society now that we must ask questions. We're also asked to make the decisions in many cases. 
and that's not always an easy task. And family members as well as the individuals are having trouble um, with it because the fear of doing the wrong thing yes. takes the place of uh, good, good medicine. Do you have a basic uh, intro to clinical trials on any of your website pages? We don't, but we have about five or six radio shows that we've done on them. We yeah. work with Nita Sabell and Steve Friedman yeah. and, and the whole crew at NCI about that. Great. Because yeah. having a resource where people can understand the difference between phase one, phase two, phase right. three, no, it, and, it, it, and how to look, look we, up trials. We, we like to use the term laypersonizing because <laughs> that's a big problem yeah. with clinical trials like Gov. It's not laypersonized Person. enough. But we do our best. It's a tough. It's 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 a barrier, but it's it's slowly improving, moving the uh, the needle a little bit every day. So, um, this is great. Is there anything else that we that you guys wanted to mention that we didn't touch on? Well, oh. I, I think it's really important as we wrap up to just bear in mind that um, you know this is a disease that we can make enormous progress against. Right. And uh, we certainly are making progress in people over 50. You can see that. Uh, we definitely need to continue to invest resources in, in the research that will help us understand early age onset. Yeah. It's really, really important. And, uh, you know, we're certainly focused and dedicated to that. But, um, but we've made great progress. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to keep our eyes on the prize and uh, continue to work the way we have been working to promote awareness uh, and support uh, the research efforts that will help us understand, especially early age onset disease. And just to kind of touch on kind of the, the larger picture in terms of just young people and their health in general, and, you know, speaking from my experience, if I had gone to the doctor a little bit sooner, I yeah. wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in today. Um, I think it's really important whether you are a cancer survivor or this hasn't affected you at all, you know, for everyone who listens, you know, listen to your body. And if there's something wrong, if something doesn't seem right, go to a doctor. It's not worth you know, not missing a meeting or, you know, meeting up with a friend, definitely listen to your body and go to the doctor as soon as you detect something's wrong because especially being at an age where, um, you know, colonoscopies are not something that are readily available to you, all you have is yourself to kind of to trust on that. So the best way to, you know, prevent it is to do something about it we can't, as we early can't. as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, and learning how to be an advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because once you know your body, you're going to know that there are changes that are going to take place. And the right changes are, are great, but there are changes that will take place that may not be in your understanding of your body. So those are the questions you should be ready to ask. Well, this takes us into next week's show about Obamacare because we find out that most people don't consider self-risk in their, once they're past the invincibility of the teen right. years, people don't consider self-risk because they don't have to have insurance. Because they don't, if, they, if you're paying for something, you'd want to use it. Right. And most people who have something wrong with them generally have to get insurance at the moment of crisis. So the idea is, is if you have, have, you have to have health insurance, will that make you more keen and self-aware of issues and symptoms, hopefully producing earlier stage diagnoses? That's an interesting philosophy yeah. that we'll, we will be discussing next week, on next week's show okay, we'll about Obamacare. To, we'll have to listen. Yeah, which I've heard he, 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 call, he calls it Obamacare now. It's he not, does? It's not like a Republican thing anymore. It's just, it's just Obamacare. And he, okay. he's embraced it. He's like, all right, fine, it's Xerox. You know? <laughs> it's FedEx, not Federal Express. You know? So they just kind of accept it. 
But these right, are the, we, we like we like show. no we like good stories we yep. like happy endings we like progress this is what it's all about. This is a lot of people in the chat room tonight too. A lot of people. When we've had yeah up to so, I think um, it was thirty five or so at one point. Yeah, good. Great information. Really good show. Thank you, one and all. All right, that everyone gets applause. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Dr. Thomas Weather. Brielle Zagaro. And Matt Beckett in our spotlight. Of course, Matt Beckett. The, the, the lovely and handsome Matt Beckett. I knew his mom was a dermatologist, too. And a I dermatologist? A dermatologist. I love his mom. Dr. She listening? I hope, I hope so. so. She better be. After Big all shout the, out. After all the struggle and challenge she's of putting got, you on the show, come she's on. Got her, she's got her ear against the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's outside. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, uh, really a great show. And uh, next week is our, our season finale. That's right. Season 10 is concluding. Season 11 comes back September 10th. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yep. All right, let's kick it out. Here we go. Closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you got it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, number two, three, four. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. And a special thank you to all of our in-studio guests. Kenny Kane, Matt Beckett, James Manning, Brooke Lorenz, Joe Martino, Jasmine Mooney, Dale Mintz, Dr. Tom Weber, and Bill Zagaro. All right. Gesundheit. Gesundheit. By the way, don't forget, we put in the chat room, colorectalchallenge.org, so check it out there. Uh, all right, let me get back on track here. Next week, as we mentioned, Obamacare. Craig Lustig, he's a brain cancer survivor and president of Message Lab Consulting. Monica Fawzi Bryant, Esquire. That would mean she's a lawyer, correct? Chief Operating Officer, Navigating Cancer Survivorship. And two spotlight guests, Tim Matthews, a young adult survivor, ALL, and he's also a musician singer. And Heather Elizabeth, she's a melanoma and breast cancer survivor. Our season finale. That's right. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. All right, and we'll be off in August, but looking forward to next week. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Good night, everybody.